Well, we have been going through a sermon series on lament, learning to lament, uh, looking at several psalms of lamentation from the Bible. Uh, we decided to do this uh, as a church just to acknowledge where we've been, what we've been through, and what's been going on in the world, and kind of the state of things, and the state of lots of our hearts has been this posture and feeling and experience of of loss and, and deep loss sometimes, troubling loss. And so it's appropriate for God's people to stop and acknowledge and and offer back to God our expressions of lamentation. We've been using a book kind of as our guide uh, called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy by Mark Brokop. And... Uh, you know, it's been very helpful. So we're kind of continuing to go through that book uh, just a little bit as we as we think about this. But one of the things that Brokaw points out in the book is, and this is my temptation too, is that oftentimes the way that we, we respond to suffering in one of two ways, either anger or denial. Um, and anger is sort of like you get angry with God, for allowing this suffering to enter your life and you, it's very easy to fall into bitterness or despair uh, and it becomes it becomes when you do that it becomes hard to want to spend time with God right it becomes hard to want to spend time with someone with whom you are angry right and sometimes even bitterness like that can lead to even a wholesale rejection of of our faith so Either anger or denial. Uh, denial is the everything is fine meme, the, the thing where everything is burning around you and you're sipping your cup of coffee and it's everything is fine, nothing is wrong, but, but everything is wrong, right? Uh, we, we feel guilty sometimes for wanting to cry out to God. We feel guilty for wanting to, to express what's really going on in our hearts and minds as we experience suffering. So, so we kind of take on a stoicism that, that really denies the pain and struggle of what we're going through. And we, we project this sense of false contentment uh, around us or of a, a put-together facade. Uh, one of the blessings of having our church in the state that it is is like the facade has been ripped apart, right? It's The facade of our church is gone. We do that for ourselves. We want things to be polished and painted and, and nice and neat, but it's not. And so we need this prayer language of lament in times of struggle. And we've talked so far about Praying your questions to God. Uh, praying the gospel back to God. Uh, praying your feelings. And we talked, we talked also about, in, in the sermon last week, about how sometimes trusting God is a choice. And I wanted to talk about that aspect before I got to what I talked about this morning, which is praying your complaints. Because praying your complaints to God has to be on the, tra the trail and on the route to choosing to trust God. Because, you know, complaining is not a very positive word, is it? It's one thing that we, we don't like. We don't like complainers. We don't like to be complainers. Um, but humans are natural complainers. Like just, if you've ever been to Disney World, you know this to be true. Like here is a, an environment that is specifically engineered at great expense 
to, to be the happiest place on earth. It is a carefully controlled happiness experience, right, in Disney World. Everything from the, the grounds and the cleanliness to, like, they figured out how to make standing in line entertaining. And so, but guess what they haven't figured out how to do? Stop, stop angry dads from yelling at their kids to stop complaining, right? Because it's hot. No, I paid a lot of money for this. You are going to have fun. And so that still happens, right? But shouldn't we be content? Like, shouldn't we be thankful? Shouldn't we, shouldn't we not complain? Does complaint always mean that we're not content or thankful? Is complaining always wrong? think so. Otherwise, Psalm 10 wouldn't invite us to bring our complaints to God. Even if they sound like complaints against God. And sometimes as a part of lament, that's what they, what they are. Todd Billings wrote, writers of laments and complaints in the Psalms often seek to make their case against God, frequently citing God's promises in order to complain that God seems to be forgetting his promises. They throw the promises of God back at him. But there, there is no lamentation without complaint. Complaint turns into self-centered venting and anger when it's not a part of this choosing to trust God. So here's the big idea. God can handle your complaints. He can handle your complaint. Godly complaints are made on the foundation of faith in God who is in, in who God is and what He can do. Godly complaints are made on this foundation of faith in who God is and what He can do. So let's look at Psalm 10 in three ways. First, look at the bold questions. Then look at the bold frustration. And then look at boldly coming to the King. Bold questions, bold frustrations, and then boldly coming to the King. Let me read Psalm 10 for us. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and in the one and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are... His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O oh God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account, but you do see. 
For you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find them. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name. Well, first, let's look at the bold questions that are present in this psalm. Uh, the psalmist here is most likely David. It, it was actually thought that Psalm 9 and 10 once were part of uh, one longer psalm. Um, and so there's no introduction to this psalm. Uh, the introduction comes from Psalm 9, which, which introduces it as a psalm of David. And again, kind of the issues in this psalm are vague. Uh, uh, kind of some unresolved injustice is going on, or maybe just injustice in general in the world. So, in any way, that, that element sort of invites us in to lay on top of this psalm whatever it is that we're experiencing that resonates with what the words of the psalmist are saying here as he, as he makes this complaint to God. But, but he asks some very tough and some very bold questions and, and this boldness itself is a characteristic of lament. Now, boldness before God is a, is a characteristic because, because boldness before God carries with it uh, an element of submission before a higher authority. You can be bold as you stand before a good king because you know that he is greater than you but also that he has your best interest at heart. So there's a liberty there in, in our ability to be bold before our good king. You wouldn't be arrogant or accusatory before a king, even a good king, because number one, you know that he is greater than you and he has power over you, but also that he loves justice. And to accuse a good and just king of injustice would be very unwise. So we're invited to be bold as we come before our good king who loves justice, but also has our best interest at heart, at the center of his intentions in our circumstances. We're able to be bold before our Heavenly Father. There's only one king who is truly like that, and that is God, right? So these questions that David brings before his good and just king are bold questions. They're, they're questions that are rooted in the character of God. Verse 1, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You are the covenant God. You are Yahweh. That's the name for God that David uses here in, in, Psalm, in the first verse of this psalm. You are Yahweh. You are the covenant God. And it is your MO. It is, your, your, it is the thing that you do, to, which is to draw near to your people. Like That's how you operate. You always draw near. That is always your move, is to move closer relationally to your people. Where are you? David asked. Where are you now in the middle of this injustice? Why don't you seem to be acting in accordance with your character and covenant promise? 
And the second question in this verse intensifies the first question. It goes deeper. It highlights the, the psalmist's frustration. Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? God seems to be actively disinterested in David and what he is going through, right? He's not just distant, but he seems to be actively avoiding his relationship with David. He's hiding himself from David. That word there can mean withdrawing or even ignoring. This is a bold question. This is an honest question. Why are you you not being very godly, God? That's what David seems to be asking. I thought you were one thing, but it seems like you're now another. I thought our relationship was one way, but, but it seems like I was wrong. What's going on? There's a deeper pain at the heart of David's bold question. And lament invites us to explore that pain in expression to God. It's not just that some injustice is taking place. That's painful enough, right? But it's also that God doesn't seem to care. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a situation where... God seems to be acting against his character and nature or that the circumstances seem to be indicating something like that. Like, have you ever felt and asked those questions and felt those questions welling up in your own heart? And, and how, did that, how did you respond to that when you, you heard those questions running through your mind? Did you say to yourself, those questions are bad. I need to stuff those questions back down. You don't have to. Because lament honestly struggles with not only the circumstances of suffering, but God's response to us in our suffering. And that's where this complaint of David is coming from. That there's a there's a tension to our complaints to God. Mark Rohab says, Lament speaks to all sorrows of life, no matter how small or how big. Lament speaks to unfulfilled longings. Lament speaks to struggles with health. Lament speaks to our feelings of loneliness and isolation, unfair circumstances at school, job loss, failed pregnancies, failed adoptions, failed marriage. Lament speaks to all of those circumstances, big and small, because it invites us to ask the question, where is God? Why doesn't God intervene? And that's the tension of complaint. But that's also the invitation to ask our bold questions of lament that this psalm gives us. And this isn't the only psalm. <laughs> this isn't the only place in Scripture where bold, hard questions, honest questions, searching questions, difficult questions, like uncomfortable questions are asked of God by people in the middle of suffering. There are many such places. Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Psalm 44, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? Psalm 80, Why then have you broken down its walls? Talking about Jerusalem. Psalm 88. O Lord, 
Why do you cast my soul away? These are hard questions. These are questions that should make you squirm a little, make you feel a little uncomfortable. They're bold questions. They're bold questions asked by real people in the middle of real situations before a good and just king who has his people's best interest at heart. You come before a king and you ask bold questions if you know that he is good and that he loves you, but that he also loves justice. So bold questions, also bold frustrations. Biblical complaint is also expressing our frustrations boldly to God. I mean, that was just the first verse in this psalm. And David sees that, that not only is he experiencing injustice at the hands of wicked people, not only, not only are they getting away with it, but, but they seem to prosper. <laughs> they seem to be prospering in the middle of their wickedness. Like, that's frustrating. Like, I get frustrated enough at home with my printer. Like, I can't imagine having some real serious injustice being leveled at me and seeing people not only get away with it, but prospering in the midst of it. Boyce, Boyce characterizes these opponents of David and of God's as, as being practical atheists. That the wicked that David is referring to are practical atheists. That they may not be professing spiritual atheists, but they live as though God doesn't exist. Verse 4 says, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. So let's look at some characteristics of who these people are. First, they're arrogant. Verses 2 through 4. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they've devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. And the one greedy for gain curses and renounces God. The wicked doesn't care for man or God. His desire is only for himself. Uh, so they're arrogant. They often prosper. Verse 5, his ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. They're atheists because God is not practical. They're not, gonna, they're not going to get ahead if you, have to, to, if you can't ruthlessly look out for number one, right? Their life seems to be secure and established. Verse 6. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. The security comes from his prosperity. The security comes from those, those things that he has set aside in order to ensure that his lifestyle is protected from outside forces who would come and take it from him. Their tongue reveals the content of their hearts. Verse 7, his mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Not simply cussing in crude language, right? but slander, lying, gossip. They're also violent. He sits in ambush in hiding places. He murders the innocents. He, he lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that you may seize the poor. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. David, like even David, the king, right? The earthly king of Israel, feels powerless in the face of these opponents. 
But David just doesn't stay and wallow in his powerlessness. He doesn't just simply hang out there and feel sorry for himself, but rather he uses his powerless position as a launching point to cry out to God. He uses his circumstances as a, as a launching point to draw near to God. Even if these enemies say in their heart, verse 11, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face and he will never see it. David knows in his heart the truth. Because his complaints are on the way to trusting in God. That he's not simply complaining for the sake of complaining. He's not simply expressing his frustrations for, this, for the sake of venting and getting it off his chest. But it's a part of his process by which he is choosing to trust in the character and nature of this good king that he is submitting himself to. He's crying out in frustration leads him back to the truth. I think his prayers are sharpened by these specific frustrations of the circumstances in which he finds himself. And his frustrations push him closer to God rather than farther away. The reason that Mark Brohoff wrote this book is because they lost a daughter to a stillbirth. And he talks about how he coped with it and and how that led him into this study of lamentation. And, uh, and he talked about his complaints to God. And after that devastating event, one of the things he started doing in his own personal practice is to write down his frustrations to God. Much like David does in this psalm. And he says this in his book. But as I wrote out my complaints and talked to the Lord about them, it was surprising how they lost their hold on me. Sometimes I even found myself laughing at the silly things I listed. Complaint helped me see myself and my situation more clearly. Since then, I've made it a regular practice to talk to God more quickly about my questions and frustrations. Not that, not that we have to write out our complaints, although that might be a good practice to get into, but I think the point is talking about expressing Understanding, thinking about, and talking to God about them is a part of the process that leads us into this place of being able to trust Him more fully because it gives us this fuller picture of our circumstances and our responses to those circumstances. As we pray back to God our questions, as we pray back to God our feelings and our complaints. This leads us to the next and crucial step of learning to lament, which is boldly asking in trust. So David has bold questions before God. He has bold frustrations that he is expressing and he is feeling and that are going on in his heart. And he knows with both of those that God can be trusted with them. And so he feels this freedom to come before his good king and lay those complaints and questions and frustrations out in front of him, knowing that God will respond in kindness. He comes boldly to his king. There's a, there's a pattern here. There's a pattern of a bold request from David and then a reasoning from the character of God that makes that bold request um, worthwhile. So for instance, we see the bold request in verse 12. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. 
He's giving imperative statements to God. He's saying, arise, lift up your hand, don't forget. Be who I thought you always were. Be who you said you were going to be in your word. And then verse 13 and 14, he says, Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, He will not call to account? But you do see. For you know mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. He's saying, the wicked are acting one way, but I know and I trust that you're going to act in accordance with your nature, which is justly towards these injustice uh, committing wicked people that are against me. And here I am. David is placing himself in the category of the helpless. Hence all of his frustrations. Hence all of his hard questions. He is saying, there's nothing that I can do. I'm helpless in the face of this suffering. But you're the helper of the helpless. You're the father of the fatherless. The reason for his bold request for God to arise and to lift up his hand and to not forget is rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in the nature of God. Verse 15, he says to God, break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. It's another bold request. Eradicate the wickedness, eradicate the injustice. Verse 16 to 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desires of the afflicted. You will strengthen their hearts. You will incline their ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. He's saying, You will strengthen us, you will give us what we need. That it is, the doing of justice is in your hands, not in mine. And it's out of his bold questions and bold frustration that David positions himself and is able to see the depth of his need and the strength of his God to meet it. The character of God makes that request reasonable. Because his complaints are on the road to trust. Complaints should lead us into a deeper understanding of and reliance upon God's character. By focusing on God's character and expressing our complaints, this allows us to complain humbly. One of the things we can also do is, is pray the Bible. That these, these psalms and these, these passages of lamentation are giving to us the specific language of the Bible that will help teach us the boundaries of lament that are focused on God's character. But God invites you. He invites you to bring your complaints. He invites you to bring your questions. He invites you to come before Him. He invites you to come humbly and honestly. Come with your pain, not your pride, is what the author of our book says. Asking boldly is safe for those honestly suffering and wrestling with their circumstances. Asking boldly of God is safe for those of his people 
who are seeking to understand, seeking to trust, who are, who are helpless in their weakness and suffering and pain, who are experiencing a depth of pain and suffering that maybe they've never experienced before, but asking boldly things of God is safe for them as they come before Him honestly resting. We can ask bold things of God because we have a God who loves us boldly. We have a God who loves us unreservedly. We have a God who is unafraid of our, our grief, unafraid of our frustration, unafraid of our complaints and expressions of sorrow. God, God is not uh, afraid of those. He's not hesitant to deal with His people as we experience those. In fact, He went to great lengths to experience the very same things Himself as Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.15 We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Pray this simple prayer when you find yourself in these kinds of circumstances. God, I know that you are not, but it feels like you are today. What a simple prayer of complaint and lament. Acknowledging who God is, but then also expressing the reality of how we feel our experience is with Him at this point. I know that you are not unjust, but it feels like you are. God, I know that you are not unloving, but today because I've experienced this hardship at work again and had this interaction with with my boss that was demeaning and painful and embarrassing. And I've prayed about this over and over again. And these I don't understand these circumstances. I know that you're not a loving, but Lord, it feels like you are. That's on the road to trust. That's humbly asking. That's that's recognizing the good character of God, even, even if it's hard to detect it in your circumstances. God's response to us in our complaints comes from His heart for sinners and sufferers. He is using these times to give us what we really need, which is more of Jesus, more of Himself. That we are saved by grace through faith. But also, we endure, we grow, we live by grace through faith. Your need for faith and grace does not stop at your salvation, but it continues throughout the course of your life in Christ as He sanctifies you by grace. And the sanctifying grace of Christ is as freely and as generously given to us as His saving and justifying grace. That this table stands as a reminder that we need the broken body and shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ to save us, but also to sustain us. That we need the spiritual food that He provides to us by His grace as we walk in good times, in bad times, in times of suffering, in times of frustration, in times when we want to ask God those hard questions. He still invites us to come. This table is not for those who never get frustrated with God. 
This table is for those, those who follow him through all the circumstances of life, trusting in his goodness and in his character, even if the circumstances seem to point to the opposite. That we acknowledge by coming to this table, God, I know that you are good. I know that you are loving. I know that you are trustworthy because you offered yourself. You allowed your body to be broken and your blood to be shed so that I may walk by faith through grace through every circumstance of my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for your grace in all circumstances. We thank you for the love with which you have loved us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you, you know us fully and you love us completely. That, that even those, those things about ourselves that make us cringe, the very thought of anybody else knowing them, we feel like we would just shrivel up and die. Lord, you know those things about us. You know our deep ugliness. You know our deep questions, our deep frustrations. You know the dark thoughts that we have, have entertained in the middle of our suffering. The questions that we're ashamed of asking of you as we look around and, and see pain all around us. Lord, you know those questions. And you love us. You love us completely. That in you we are fully known and fully loved. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, help us to recognize our ongoing and continual need for you as our Savior. Thank you that, that you call us to be your children. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to walk with us through every moment of every day. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.